In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, for your comfort and peace, and grant us, O Lord, your will to be done in our lives, and be with your people, O Lord, in the whole world at all times. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Good evening, everybody. God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Genesis. Um, last week we finished uh, Genesis chapter 5, uh, which was a long genealogy um, of the line of Adam uh, through Seth, all the way leading up to the last uh, person in the genealogy was uh, Noah and his sons. Um, God willing, today in chapter 6, we're going to start speaking about the story of Noah. Uh, and um, there's a bit of a little prelude to that before we get into the story. Um, but that's going to be the, the, main, the main part of the story um, that we're going to speak about here in chapter 6 and 7. God willing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. <clears throat> So it starts, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Um, there's more than one view as to what this means. Um, there are some uh, that believe that when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that the sons of God are angels and the daughters of men are human beings and that somehow there was a relationship between these angels and these women um, and they were able to have children, uh, which we'll read about in the coming few verses. Um, this is not what we believe, okay? We, we believe that when it refers to the sons of God, we, we refer that this is referring to the line of the children of Seth. So. If you remember when we spoke about Cain, the line of Cain uh, were those who ended up living wicked lives. And the line of Seth were those who lived righteous lives. This is why in Genesis 4:26, um, after speaking about Seth, it says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord, right? So the line of Seth brought about um, a, a, a faith and a belief in God and a life seeking to please God in his family and in his descendants, right? So this is what it means when it says the sons of God, okay? And and in many places in scriptures, um, human beings are referred to in this way. So like in Psalm 82, verse six, it says, you are gods and all of you are children of the most high. Here, when it's speaking about you are gods, it's not saying that we are gods in the sense of being divine, but it is saying that we have like the godly attributes because we are made in the image of God. So here, the sons of God is considered the children of God, just like we refer to ourselves as the children of God, as believers. So there's nothing here that would indicate that somehow the sons of God were some supernatural beings like angels or anything like that. Okay. Um, but the daughters of men. So what would that mean then? The sons of God are like the line of those who lived righteously, like in the, like the, the line of Seth. The daughters of men here, just like... Uh, when we say sons of God, it's referring to those who are righteous. The daughters of men are referring to those who are wicked, okay? 
So it happened at this time that these righteous people, right, became intermixed and intermingled with these wicked, okay? And the daughters of men refer to the line of Cain. So essentially the, the righteous line, the line of Seth and the line of Cain, they intermingled together. And so the righteousness that was on the earth because of the, the descendants of Seth was lost, okay? Um, so, so this is why in verse three, okay, um, it goes on and says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years, okay? So, so God is now in response to what's happened, right? In response to the, the people losing their, their faith, becoming wicked, okay? Uh, God is responding and saying, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. So what is this 120 years? This 120 years is referring to the length of time that before the flood would happen, okay? Some people interpret this 120 years to be, this is now going to be the, the lifespan of a human being. That, that Because before this, we had people who had very, very long lifespans. Um, and then eventually the lifespan shortened to be some closer to what we um, are familiar with. Uh, but but this, isn't, this isn't what it's referring to. Because actually, even after this, there were still people that lived for a very long time. It's saying that there's 120 years until the flood would happen. So it is, it is now that the God is saying, because of the wickedness that is on the earth, okay, now that there's going to be a, a destruction that is going to happen, it's going to be um, the flood, okay? In Genesis 5.32, okay, it says that Noah is 500 years old, okay? And in Genesis 7, verse 6, um, this is when the flood came upon the earth. It says that Noah is 600 years old. So if you were to say, from the end of Genesis chapter 5 until the flood happens, it's saying, according to this, it's 100 years, okay? Not 120 years. But the reason is that this, like, this is not necessarily chronological in the sense that in the end of, of Genesis chapter 5, it's a very long genealogy, and the genealogy is concluding with Noah. It doesn't mean that it is now chronologically the time where Noah is alive. It is just referring to the chronology of that, because in, in that uh, chapter, it refers to Noah having three children, right? But again, in this chapter, it also refers to him having the three children. So this isn't necessarily between chapter five and chapter six, necessarily a chronological account, okay? So here, what this is saying is that God is saying that there's going to be 120 years now that he has decided until the destruction, okay, which is going to come through the flood. <clears throat> In verse four, it says, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old men of renown. The Hebrew word that is that is translated here in English as giants, the word is Nephilim. Okay. And so those people who believe that these Nephilim, these giants, are the product of the angels and the human women, right? They say, well, this, this new race, this intermixed race of uh, the, the, the women uh, and the angels is like the super race, right? They are giants. And this is when we speak about the people who are uh, like, like Goliath, for instance, who is a giant who would be like nine feet tall. And this is how they're saying uh, that this is, just, is saying uh, 
a justification for how this is, how are you going to get people that are nine feet tall and, and giants like this? It's because it is some mixing between the angels and the human beings. But again, this is not what we believe. Okay. The, another time that this word Nephilim is used is in Numbers 13. It says, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Okay. What does this word literally mean, this word Nephilim, which is translated giants? Literally, the word means the fallen ones, right? It means the fallen ones. So what this is referring to here as giants are like a savage people who are like ungodly and, and because they are living this wicked life away from God. So remember, the sons of God, the line of Seth, intermarried with the daughters of men, the line of Cain, and the, 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 the faith in God is lost. People are no longer living in obedience to God. And the result is the fallen ones, the Nephilim, okay, which is what they're referred to. And they were these savage people, okay, that lived away from God. So again, this is why God responded the way he did by saying, now his days on the earth shall be only 120 days. Okay, it's, it's a consequence of the sin that the people are committing. <clears throat> So then he continues and he says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, right? Because again, everyone now in the world is wicked. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air for I am sorry that I have made them. Okay. So when, when we read this, it's very, very um, severe. I mean, we, we just a few chapters ago got done reading about how God created everything and that how everything he saw was very good, you know, and, and that was the state in which he created everything. He created it in the state of goodness and perfection. Okay. And now we see the, 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 the change that's happened in the world. And the change that's happened in human beings after the sin of Adam and Eve, that now when God looks at everything, right, and he sees all this wickedness that is great on the earth, and he says that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Can you imagine that every single person, the only intent of their thought was evil all the time, constantly. There was no good. There was no good. Everything was evil. And so it says the Lord was sorry that he made everything. Right. He was grieved and he was sorry. And he says, I'm going to destroy it all. Um, when we read something like this, saying that God is sorry for what he did, we have to understand it from like a, the perspective of God. The language that's used to describe God's emotions, to, to describe God's actions is kind of personified in a way that we as humans can understand. OK. This language is used to help us understand why God is doing certain things. But it doesn't mean that God is experiencing the same feelings that we would experience if we were in that position. So, for instance, if, if this were a human being, we would look at them and we would say, well, it sounds like they were very disappointed, right? They were very disappointed because they had high hopes for man, that, that everything would turn out well and that the world that he created would be good and man would be good. And now, look, everything is a mess. And so he's so angry and upset and disappointed, right? That's maybe how, when we read it at first glance, that's what it sounds like. 
But we know that God does not get disappointed. It is not possible for God to be disappointed because he already knows everything ahead of time. And he fully knew that at, even at the time of the creation and before the creation, that all these things would happen, right? He knew that, that man would choose what, 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 what he did, okay? So here God is um, expressing the reasons why the flood would come. He, it's, it's making it clear so we understand as human beings the flood is coming because of the wickedness of man. It doesn't mean that God is sad and disappointed and, and, and distraught. It, that, that's not what it means. It means it's connecting the actions that we did with what God is doing in response to the actions that we did. Okay. Um, St. Augustine, he says, the wrath of God is not a reaction that could disturb the clarity of his mind. God forbid. But it is rather a verdict through which sin will be condemned. So God is making it clear, I am doing this because of what you have done. Okay. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? So the only human, the only one who was righteous in the eyes of the Lord was Noah. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was, was a just man, perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? So here we see really God's love for each of us as individuals, you know? We tend to group everybody in groups, and we say, this particular group is like this, and this particular group is like this, and maybe we treat people according to their group, right? We, 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 don't, we don't look at each individual necessarily. We have biases and we might say, this person is a member of this group, so I'm going to treat them uh, the way that I treat this group, right? Like, like, uh, like this person is coming from a, a very, very like good family. So I'm gonna treat this person like as though they are very respectful and good. Whereas this other person, he comes from a family that doesn't have a good reputation. So maybe I'm gonna treat this person as though someone who has a poor reputation, even though I've never even worked with him or experienced him or dealt with him before, right? We prejudge things according to categories and groups that we make, but God doesn't do this, right? And even though God has millions and billions of people that he has created and knows, he treats each person uniquely according to who they are, right? And so here, God did not just say, you know what, I'm going to wipe out everybody and start again. He says, no, but there is one person, only one person, Noah, whom I will save, which, which, which makes us feel that like how much God loves each of us as individuals. And that let's say that there was only one of us. Let's say there was only one human being that God had ever created. And that person, us, was lost and away from him. When we ask the question, would God have incarnate and died on the cross just for me, just for me as an individual? And the answer is yes, because God saved one person. He did all of this, the whole thing with the ark and all of that stuff that we're going to read. He did it to save just Noah, Noah and his family. That's it out of everyone in the entire world. So God is just and he is not going to punish someone for the sins of somebody else. Okay, so. Here we see the love of God that Noah was a righteous man and he and God was going to spare him this punishment and destruction. And of course, also, it is through Noah that the world will be repopulated again, right? It's like we're starting over. The world is going to be repopulated. 
The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So God had created this place that was good, right? In, in the creation. And, and because of the sin of man, not only did man corrupt himself, but the earth became corrupted. The earth also was corrupted before God. You know, none of us have ever experienced, nor maybe can we comprehend what the world was like before the fall. But it is so clear that the world was a different place. It wasn't, it wasn't filled with violence. It wasn't filled with disasters. It wasn't filled with plagues and pestilences. It wasn't filled with, with any of that. All of that came as a result of the sin that we committed because we are responsible for the world. God gave it into our care. He said, this is your world, tend it and keep it. This is what he said to Adam. And so when we sinned, it's like everything that had been entrusted to us became corrupted with us, right? And so sin, even though it, became, it began with man, but it resulted in the whole creation being corrupted. And so not only did man need to be renewed, but the world itself needed to be renewed. And so this flood is a cleansing. It is to cleanse the world and it is to cleanse humanity to give it a fresh start again. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay, so he's coming now to explain to Noah. And I want you to put yourself in the place of Noah here. Okay, to try to understand, you know, this is one of those stories that's so famous and we all kind of know it. and we, we read it and gloss over it and understand what it means. And we just kind of like, okay, we accept it. But I want you to really put yourself in the place of Noah and try to understand how you would have reacted if you were in his place and God is coming to you and telling you these things. Okay. So God is coming and he's saying, um, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to destroy everyone, right? The end of all flesh has come before me. And because the earth is filled with violence and I will destroy the earth. And so God is explaining this to Noah. And this was a decision. This destruction was a decision that was made by humanity. It wasn't a decision made by God. When God created us, he created us to follow his commandments, right? He put us in this place and he says, in order for you to be successful in this place, in order for you to prosper and to thrive in this place, in order for this place to be fruitful for you, then you need to live a certain way. You need to do certain things. And if you break the rules, then this place is not going to yield its fruit for you. This place is not going to be a blessing for you. This place is going to be destruction for you, right? And it wasn't because... God became angry at mankind and brought these diseases and these pestilence. And no, it was a natural result of the actions of mankind. Okay. So it was our choice that the world became the way that it was. Okay. So when we look at what is the ark, right? The ark is a symbol of baptism, right? It is a symbol of the dying of the old and the creation of the new, right? In baptism, when we go in the waters of baptism, our old man, our old nature is dying, right? And, and out is coming a new creation, a new nature, right? So in the flood, all that had been made from before that had fallen into darkness was destroyed. Everything was destroyed. And what came out was something new, like a new world, right? Cleansed with water. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. 
there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth uh, from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. So St. Peter is looking at this, uh, what is about to happen here in the flood and the salvation that happened through the ark, as being um, a symbol of baptism, because baptism is renewal. And so here we have the renewal of the world. St. Ambrose, he says, in the great flood, in the days of Noah, all people died except for Noah and his family. So the outer man perishes, but the inner one is renewed. This does not only happen in the water of baptism, but also by repentance, when the lusts of the flesh perish and the spirit grows. Okay, so, um, so in every way, when we look at what's happening here in the flood, we see that this is also what is happening in baptism when we are recreated anew. So God is now going to tell Noah, you know, he said, he said to him, um, I'm going to destroy the earth, but now here's what you, you, you need to do. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. Okay. Uh, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower second and third decks. Okay. Um, when you read in like the church fathers, they contemplate on symbols representing all of these things and the dimensions and all of that. I'm just going to mention one just because there's so many, um, but I'm just going to mention one. And the one I want to mention um, is one that is coming from origin. Okay. Origin. He was speaking about, the symbolism behind there being the three decks of the ark, okay? And he sees the three decks of the ark as symbolizing three ways that we can understand scripture. So the first way we understand scripture is the literal sense, okay? And we'll use the story of Noah's ark as an example for this, okay? The literal sense. The literal sense is what happened, right? Like literally what is happening. So when we look at the story of Noah's Ark, we say literally what has happened is that God said to Noah that he's going to destroy the earth because of their wickedness and that he is commanding Noah to build an ark and then Noah is going to enter the ark and be saved from the flood and so on, right? This is the literal understanding of this passage of scripture. The second deck or the second way of understanding the scripture is the moral, right? The moral sense. When we look at the story, we say what, what moral lesson do we learn from the story of Noah's Ark, well, we say, well, we need to be able, we need to live righteously with the God uh, so that we are, we do not have to uh, suffer the consequences of our sin. We can say that um, we have to always be watchful because we do not know when the end will come and that those people who were living on the earth, they were eating and drinking and doing everything without being mindful at all, that there will be a consequence and a judgment to their actions, right? And we can apply this to our lives and see how we also need to be mindful, thinking that, you know, we need to live a certain way, we need to live a life of repentance and so on. Like all of this is moral lessons, right? The spiritual, which is the third way of interpreting the same story, is what we just said about St. Ambrose when he was speaking about the renewal and what uh, St. Peter was speaking about in First Peter chapter 3, that the ark is representing baptism, right? That just as, as, as humanity and just as the world was renewed through the flood, so also we are renewed in the waters of baptism. This is a spiritual sense of understanding the exact same passage, 
right? And so here, this is what Origen is saying uh, as, as like what is going to be symbolically seen as having these three decks of Noah's Ark. And it's important for us to, when we're ever reading scripture, to also be trying to look at it in these three senses, right? There, there isn't just one thing that we get from a story. No, there's maybe hidden deeper things that we can understand uh, and get from like a particular passage or a particular story uh, in the Bible. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. Okay. So he's telling him here, you're going you're gonna to build the ark, and then I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth, and I'm going to establish uh, a covenant with you. What is the covenant? The covenant is that, uh, that we'll read about later, which is essentially going to be that he is never going to send another flood like this to destroy the earth again. He's going to set the rainbow as a sign in the heavens to remind us that he, we will never be destroyed like this and with a flood again the rest of our lives, okay, the rest of humanity. Um, one other thing to point out is some people say that up until this point in history, um, there, there had not been rain. Uh, that when you, when you read in the original creation, it says, and that there was like, the, the spirit was hovering over the waters and the myth that there was a mist that was irrigating all the land and everything. Some people say that um, up until this point, there had been no rain yet. Right. And so this mist that was irrigating the world is the way that plants and animals got water and so on. And so, um, but even apart from that, when Noah is going to be building this ark, he's going to be building it on dry ground. When you, when you think of the, from the perspective of a person who is living a contemporary of Noah at the time. When you see this man spending such a long time, you know, years and years and years, dedicating his, you know, such a big part of his life just to building this large boat, and this boat is being built on dry ground, and he is saying that there's going to be all this flood and all this that happens, you know, I think any of us perhaps living at the time of Noah would look at Noah and think that he's crazy. Um, what evidence, Noah, do you have that this is actually what's going to happen apart from what God has said? And you see, God is revealing this only to Noah. Why? Because Noah was the only righteous person. Noah was the only person that could hear these words and accept them. And to, 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 to after so many years of, of building, for him to, to never uh, doubt that, in fact, this was going to happen and to be motivated to continue building and doing all of this work, trusting that this is, this is eventually going to come to pass. And then God was using him for this great purpose, okay? And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Uh, and of the uh, male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So he's saying that these animals are going to come. He doesn't explain here how they're going to come, but God is going to bring the animals when it's time. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all, uh, com all God commanded, so he did. Okay, so he's here 
um, God is telling him what's going to happen. And he's going to say, once everything is ready, you will bring the food um, and the animals will come and everything will be uh, ready. And he's saying here, bring the animals. Uh, you will take two of every kind of animal. Okay. We'll get a little bit more detail about that in the next chapter. Okay. Anybody have any questions about chapter six uh, before we move on? I have one question, Abuna. Yeah. Um, we, we often hear like stories of like Noah preaching to the people like that the flood is coming, but we, uh, the only source for that will be in 2 Peter 2, 5, calling, uh, Saint Peter calling the Noah preacher of righteousness. But there's no other, any, anyway, not, it's nothing in the, in the Genesis of Noah preaching. Yeah, I mean, that's right. There's nothing here that's said specifically about Noah preaching, but certainly he, he, he was very he was he was very well known. I mean, people were going to know about what it is that he's doing and they're going to be asking him questions and Noah would tell them. Um, this is why, like you said, in, in Second Peter, he is called like a, a preacher of righteousness, because even though it's not directly said here that he is preaching, um, but 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 he was preaching just by his own actions, even for people would know and understand what it is that he is. Uh, that he is doing okay any other comments or questions okay so we will continue in chapter seven then the lord said to noah come into the ark you and all your household because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. So whereas in the end of chapter six, God was mentioning just of taking two of every kind of animal, here he is more specific and he says it's going to be two of every animal, but of the animals that are clean animals, these animals, um, you're going to bring seven. Okay. And these laws of cleanliness had to do with which types of animals were able to be eaten and which types of animals were able to be used as sacrifices um, and then which were not allowed to be eaten and which could not be used as sacrifices. So the, the official law that described all of this was going to come much later at the time of Moses, when God would deliver all the details of this law to him, which then became known as the Mosaic law. But um, a lot of this was already understood. And here you can see that these laws of clean animals was already understood. And God asked uh, Noah to uh, bring more clean animals so that after they're done, um, the people could offer these animals to God as a sacrifice. Okay. So, so the goal here was we want to have extra animals so that when, you know, we want them to be able to continue to propagate their species, but we also want to have some extra so that we can offer as sacrifices. Okay. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So he gave him seven day notice and he said, um, it will begin to rain. Okay. And it will rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. 
Um, and then this is when the waters will rise. Okay. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So if you notice here, when it's saying, what is the source of the water that is going to come and flood the earth? It speaks about two different types of sources of water. One of it was the rain, as I already said that, when God said in verse 4, after seven days, it will, it will cause it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. But then here in verse 11, it says what? On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So there's two things happening, right? One of it is that it's raining, right? Which is the windows of heaven are opening and the water is coming down, okay? But there's also this other thing, which is the, the, the fountains of the great deep. So when we speak about um, the, the animals, or, or sorry, when we speak about the source of the water, right, and how much really like, you know, people can say, well, if it rains for 40 days, how much flooding are you going to get? Right? Because it says later that the waters of the flood rose up even above the mountains, okay? But the, the waters was not only coming from the rain. There was another source of water, which was these fountains of the great deep. And it's not described what this means exactly. Um, you know, some people have said uh, something about like water coming from like the depths of the ocean from like within like the deep trenches in the ocean. You know, pe people have speculated all kinds of different things. And at the end, we don't know what it is, but there was two sources of the water. It wasn't just rain only. Okay. Someone is asking, were the animals that could be eaten the same as the ones that were allowed to be offered as a sacrifice? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so of the so there were unclean animals the unclean animals you couldn't eat them and you couldn't sacrifice them and then there were clean animals the clean animals you could eat and of some of the clean animals could be offered a sacrifice right because um, god had said only certain animals could be offered a sacrifice like sheep goats bulls uh some of the birds as well could be offered a sacrifice as described in the book of Leviticus that speaks about all of the details of the different offerings. Okay. <clears throat> so it says, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. So we know that it rained for 40 days straight, exactly as, as God had said. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his son with them entered the ark. Okay. These are eight people. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So everybody went into the ark, all the animals went into the ark and everything was ready, okay? Um, now the flood was on the earth 40 days. 
the waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Right, so the waters rose up very high. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all the flesh died that moved on the earth birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life all that was on the dry land died so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground both man and cattle creeping things and birds of the air they were destroyed from the earth only noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So this is um, how long that the waters remained on the earth and then began to subside after that point, okay? So this is the story of the flood, which we're gonna, it's gonna conclude the story in the next chapter. Um, but when you really look at it, you see how God was willing to cleanse everything that he had made. There was another time uh, during the wandering of Israel in the wilderness, where God declared that the people had were so stubborn and disobedient um, when he was talking to Moses. And he told Moses that he was going to wipe out the entire nation of Israel, all of the people, and he was going to raise up a new people for, Mo for Moses then to lead, right? So it kind of has a, a similar taste to it and, as this, like, here, God saw that all the people were wicked and evil continually. And so he was going to completely wipe them out uh, and, then, and then start again. Okay. In, in, the, in the wilderness, uh, again, there were, the people were all wicked and disobedient. And so God was going to wipe them out and start again. But in that case, Moses, at the time, he interceded for the people and he said to them, or he, he, he said to God, uh, if you are going to blot out their name from the book of life, then also blot out my name as well. And he interceded for the people so that God would not wipe them out. And God accepted his intercession and, and, and certainly he, he did not wipe them out. And so we see that like um, God, how he listens to intercession, how God, like when, when a righteous person is interceding on behalf of someone else, that God listens and he can change. Uh, also in the story of uh, Jonah, uh, when the people repented, God, God changed, right? The reason here that nothing changed, the reason here that everything continued as it was, is because there was no repentance. You know, let's say within like the 120 years from the time here in, in verse 3 of chapter 6, when God said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. If at that point... You know, the people would have listened to what God said and taken this seriously and said, you know, we are going to change our ways because God is condemning us and there will be a destruction in 120 years and we do not want to experience this. They would have had the opportunity to change and they could have changed and God would have listened, right? And maybe there would not have needed to be a flood. But because none of them obeyed and none of them listened and Noah was the only one who was righteous, who walked with God, who listened and who obeyed God, this is why God continued on with, with this plan. 
Similarly, when it came to the destruction of the city of Sodom, uh, when Lot and his family were living in the city of Sodom, uh, because the, they were, uh, it was a sinful city, it was a wicked city, and so God decided that he was going to destroy the city. And so he came to Abraham and he told Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. And Abraham interceded for the people and kept asking God, well, were you going to destroy the city even if there is so many righteous people in the city? Like, like uh, I don't remember the exact number. If it's like 50 or 60, I can't remember. Uh, and God said, no, I will not destroy it if there is that many righteous people. And then Abraham said, well, what if the number is slightly less? And then God would say, no, I would not destroy it if it was slightly less. And he kept going until I think it was only 10 people at the end. Are you going to destroy it if there's only if there's 10 righteous people? And God says, no, I will not destroy it if there's 10 righteous people. But there turned out not even to be that. It ended up being only the family of Lot, right? And so similar to this idea here that we see in the flood, that when, when, uh, when God saw that there was one righteous family in the city of Sodom, what did he do? He sent angels to go and bring that family out of the city of Sodom so that then he destroyed the city. Just like here, there was one family that was righteous, which is the family of Noah. He brought that one family to safety and he used that one family to save the rest of the creation. Because what if Noah even had not been righteous? You know, what would have happened if, if, if there wasn't a single person righteous to save, right? Noah's righteousness not only saved himself and his family, but it saved the entire world because it, it gave an opportunity for everything that God had created to continue, right? To continue and to continue living, right? So that all of them would not have been wiped out. So even though we say, you know, that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, but we are also all descendants of Noah and his family because everyone else was wiped out um, ex except for Noah and his family. And Noah, because he was a righteous man, when, 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 when after the flood had been done, uh, was done, and then they started to live again normally on the earth, he taught his family about God, and they all experienced this, that they could then pass on from generation to generation, this amazing miracle that God had done um, to save them. So um, does anybody have any qu comments or questions? I know we finished a little bit early today. Uh, does anybody have any questions before we conclude? Mina. Sorry, it's not letting me unmute you. Hold on. Sorry, Mina, it's not letting me unmute you for some reason. Uh, if you want, you can just type your question on the on the chat. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, oh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so I think that remind me of. Uh, of the uh, of the story of Nineveh, where, where, uh, where, where God originally was going to destroy the city of Nineveh, initially, but on the other hand, the people of Nineveh realized that what they were doing was 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 not acceptable, and they and and they, and they started to repent, and then after that, God 
was, yeah, God canceled the plan that he was going to do, which was to do destroy the city of Nineveh because the people of Nineveh repented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's an example. And here, uh, they the the people did not repent. Yeah, very good. Where are the writings, where are the Father's writings where we can read more about the fact that corruption of earth is a consequence of man's sin? Um, I don't have a specific one, I guess, in my mind, um, but it's really everywhere. Uh, it, it's mentioned so many times. Uh, I might be able to find a few things uh, speaking about that in commentaries for the book of Genesis. Um, I, will, uh, I will try to, to, to look uh, for that specifically. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, God, for your blessing. We ask you, O Lord, to be with us and all your people and everyone, O Lord, who is suffering and in pain. We ask you, O Lord, to keep us to be always alert and aware of all possible temptations around us and to remind us, O Lord, of your goodness and love that you had for Noah and his family and how you remembered him, O Lord, even as one person in the midst of a, of a sinful world. We ask, O Lord, that you remember us even in the midst of this world that is full of so much darkness. We ask, O oh God, that you preserve our faith and you grant us your strength and peace and allow us to grow and to thrive, O oh Lord, in you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever.